0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the CMPU, in association with 898 Authentic Rock and Roll, proudly present the Ultimate Catalog Collection.
1: Skipping. A sad present of a giant. Mercy, please. Rehash. Metallica changed for the worse. Metallica has lost all respect. Only sells because of the name. Oops, they did it again. Well, those are the less than flattering one-star Amazon reviews of 1997's Reload by Metallica, which is the album we're signed to cover on today's episode of the Ultimate Catalog Clash. Corey, a little harsh, don't you think? A, a, a tad
0: bit, a, a tad bit. I gotta tell you, though, uh, uh, real world here, Kevin and I haven't uh, recorded uh, an Ultimate cl- Catalog Clash in a while. And I, I just got to say... This is the first time it's been a real pleasure. Like, for the first time, <laughs> you know, most of the way through Season 2, it's it's a, a real pleasure to see you. It's always a pleasure to see you, my friend. And we just saw each other last
1: night. That's right. On, we, on, a, different, on a different podcast, we, we which you should, a live, tell, you should
0: tell people about. Yes, we went live on the Van Halen Show. We're going to be doing a lot more of those as we're finishing off albums. But we finished off our third record in the Van Halen Catalog, ou Eight One Two. Um, most people's least favorite Sammy era record. And I would say probably mine too, but that still means it's a pretty damn good record. Enjoyed it yep. quite a bit. And we enjoyed the conversation last night. We had yourself, we had a lot of our patrons. We had the uh, the one and only legendary Eric Senich uh, joined us as well. And uh, we, we compiled our all of our rankings to come up with the ultimate show ranking. And I think even though it wasn't my number one uh, song, I, I think the right song uh, finished off it at number one.
1: I think so too and I was I was thinking about that today but you know you because you're almost at the end now of the, of the main Van Halen catalogue and that's 12 albums where you know we've done we did eight on Genesis we're only doing three with Metallica but getting through an entire catalogue like that that's a lot of work a lot of fun are really you kind love. of sad that it's closing up or you don't won't get to do the wheel spin with the main catalogue or well there, there's still going to be a show there's still going to be a wheel
0: Uh, I think we have enough people that that listen to that show. We had nobody listening to the Aerosmith show. That's why it was easy to turf that one. Nobody gave two fucks about that one. But the Aerosmith, uh, oh, you did, yeah, but you're a glutton for punishment, though. But the Van Halen one, uh, people actually seem to enjoy. So, yeah, we're going to have solo wheels, and we'll have all sorts of things to kind of carry on. But Mark and I talked about this. Even when we started this, you know, over two years ago, it's like, what are the odds of us actually finishing the Van Halen catalog? And and then we, we had this massive backlash after... We first got published on the uh, Van Halen News Desk. Uh, for that weekend, every Van Halen fan that checks the Van Halen News Desk listened to our show. Because for that yeah. week on uh, Apple Podcast, the entire platform of Apple Podcast, we were the fifth most listened to podcast that week. We beat. <laughs> wow. We beat. No, we're sorry, we're fourth. We beat Eddie Trunk that week. And you know what kind of presence he has in podcast? We, we couldn't insane. beat Joe Rubin. Just a huge fucking number, and everybody hated us. And we thought, well, geez, we're not going to keep up this level of abuse. But for some reason, we, we stuck with it. We kind of carved out this little niche of being uh, idiots, but entertaining enough that people listen to our horse shit. And, uh, you know, we're, we're still going. And I'm actually kind of shocked.
1: Idiots that, you know, like spouting their uninformed, uneducated views and foisting them on the world. That, that's what we're doing here tonight. <laughs> this is the Ultimate Catalog Clash. It's the podcast where me and my good friend Corey take on the discography of one artist per season to find out which record will emerge as that Artist's Best Album. Uh, we rank each side of the album on lyrics, music, and production, and we end up with a score out of 100 for each entry in the discography. Um, at the end, we'll find out which record comes on top. Now, again, it's called the Ultimate Catalog Clash, but we're only covering a specific year of this band. Corey, tell us why you split Metallica into three years the way you did.
0: You know what? It, it, it almost kind of evenly splits when, when you're talking about volume of music. There's a uh, an extra album in the 80s and an extra album in the 2000s. There's only the the three if we really wanted to be Sticklers and wanted to have four, four, and four, we could have put maybe Garage Inc. here, but then it's hard to rate them on a song that's not theirs because that's an all-covers yeah. record, right? So it would have different criteria. Uh, but I just thought it just seemed like a natural progression. You have 80s Metallica, which is very much, you know, heavy metal, right? That, that That's where they got their their start. And those are, if you're the diehard Metallica fans, those are the, well, the three especially that they point to as being the absolute best, kill them all, Master Puppets, Ride the Lightning. Uh, and then... And justice uh, is kind of that's where they that's where Metallica started to sell out, right? Because they did a video, <laughs> really fucking cool video too, uh, for that matter. For one of their best songs too, one is just amazing. But then in the nineties, that's when they that's when Metallica wanted to you know make music that everybody liked. You know, heaven forbid we want to like you know meet chicks and sell records and sell merch and and yeah. be popular. Doesn't that what every band wants to do? And Metallica decided they wanted to do that, so they made it a little more audience friendly on the Black album. Massive fucking hit. And then they're just kind of evolving here. And I was uh, doing some research, uh, especially on Reload, and, and Kirk Hammett was talking about you know another band that that kind of followed the same path we did was Led Zeppelin. Not that they're comparing Metallica to Led Zeppelin, but just in the way Led Zeppelin evolved from Zeppelin One to Coda, two totally yeah. different bands. And Jay and uh, Kirk. Uh, was talking about Metallica following kind of that same road because they kind of evolved going into Injustice and then the Black album and then these albums Load and Reload they took a hard left and, and became more blues rock like you know Lars is a huge fan of of ACDC and there's some uh, there's some real moments on uh, side A and B of Reload
1: where you, that really comes through yeah definitely uh, it's funny because this that, that I always you know it's, when people talk about selling out I always go back to that um, there's an interview with Robert Downey Jr when he did Iron Man. And someone had said to him, like, you know, you're known for doing these smaller indie films or quirky roles or everything. What made you want to take on a a major motion picture, sort of big big, major studio thing? He said, well, I thought it'd be quite nice to make a movie that some people saw. (laughs) And so, you know, the same thing as a musician. You want people to hear your music and, you know, you can still play all the hits from the the first four albums which they do mm-hmm. right yeah so you go to a show you're still going to hear battery you're still going to hear master of puppets but you're also going to get some stuff where, where you can bring your girlfriend or you can bring your wife along and there's gonna be something for her too and what's wrong so, with that nothing wrong with that at all and you know I, we we said at the outset that we're, we're two albums in now and we said at the outset that i i come into this as not the metallica fan I, I'm, I'm kind of being turned around like i you know if if the first three albums are so much better than the black album load and reload then i'm really excited to go back and dig into that stuff
0: and you know what i i think there's really strong stuff in their 2000s output too forget about st anger that album's a train wreck <laughs> i think we would have fun to just kind of ripping in a new asshole but <laughs> death magnetic is really good hardwired is like half of their best album ever and half a pretty right. good record so it, it's kind of dyslexic that way for me but i also really like 72 seasons there's maybe one track on there that i skip if it comes up on shuffle but the rest I play all the way through, I thought it was a really, really solid record. So I'm really kind of looking forward to 2000
1: on Metallica too, because we'll have fun with St. Anger. Yeah. And we got some good music too. Me too. Well, we're not talking about St. Anger. We're not talking about 2000s or 80s Metallica. We're talking about 90s. Tonight we're starting off with Reload. And my understanding of this from doing a little bit of reading, a bit of research is that essentially the songs from Load and Reload were all written during those same sessions. And, you know, Metallica picked, you know, they were going to do a double album and stop me at any point where I get any of this wrong. They were going to do a double album. They kind of can that because, you know, it's that's a lot of songs to kind of throw at the public in one go. It's a lot of time in the studio as well. Um, and I know that they obviously, they're a big touring band and they did two, almost 200 shows between 97 and 98 mm-hmm. or 98 and 99 or whatever. So that's that's a lot of work to do. Uh, what, uh, Lars had mentioned that if you put out a double
0: record, it only counts as one album on your contract. But if you release right. two albums like a year apart, uh, even though they're written and largely recorded at the same time, it counts as two records. And Guns N' Roses did that, too, with Use Your Illusion, right? They released both theirs on the same day. Yeah. Uh, But uh, Metallica, at least, you know, uh, put a year in between uh, Load and Reload. And this is the album Reload where James said, uh, you know, well, what was the exact quote? Uh, Reload is all the crappy ones. Uh, But really, they're not the rejects. They're just all the songs that weren't finished when we released Load. Yeah.
1: And you can hear that, I think, throughout the album. You can hear there's stuff in the album that you think... Ooh, yeah that wouldn't have made load and loads not like a top 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 tier album so you think okay well did you have enough material for a double album could you have trimmed it down a little bit and then i think the other thing i noticed Corey, is going through and listening to reload you hear repetition on themes quite a bit through these because there's 27 tracks on these two albums and you can hear where they're doing Kind of the same thing. They're getting into the same territory. So you can see why they're they're trying to pick, okay, well, what's the best of these three? Well, let's load that up first mm-hmm. and just get that out the gate. So coming back and then, you know, a year later maybe and picking up these songs again and saying, well, what's the good stuff? What's the bad stuff? I can see why that's challenging too. And I think that it's admirable that they actually got a record as, as or some of the songs are as good as they are out of uh, something that was like a, sh- a project that they'd started a year earlier. That's tough to do. Oh, absolutely. And one thing I want us to do on the uh, season rap
0: show uh, is something Chris Jericho actually did on his uh, podcast, Talk is Jericho, uh, that I, I really think we, we we should rip off. But he does a, a segment called uh, a Classic uh, Album Clash, where he'll take two records, sometimes by the same artist, sometimes not, just similar vein, and he'll match them track by track. And you have to pick a winner between, like, you know, the opening tracks and then the second track and then the third track. And they did Load and Reload one show. And okay. afterwards, uh, each member of his panel and him, they compiled, if if there was just one album called Load, and you had like 15 slots out of all this material, out of 30 songs, which 15 uh, spots or which 15 songs would you put on your version of Load? I'd like us to do something similar because I bet you uh, they're going to be a a little bit different probably. I'll probably have a couple of uh, tracks on on my version of Load that you wouldn't have on yours, but I I think it'd be interesting at the end of the season to maybe just, if it was just one record, I think it's going to be a fucking phenomenal record and
1: uh, which ones would make the cut. I mean, because I, I was thinking exactly the same thing. and it'll be a good thing to do because I think there is definitely, definitely fourteen songs. I think that you can put together. I'm already probably at about eleven that mm-hmm. I've been th- when I've been thinking about that through. Well, uh, six sides. So I think it's a great idea, and then we'll let. Uh, we'll maybe like. We'll maybe get our co-host to do it as well. We'll make Scott do it as well. So we got a, a three banger.
0: Well, there you go, because uh, Scott, uh, I don't think he's heard any of this material except yeah. for our show. <laughs> So I'd be curious to see which songs he would put uh, on a 15-track a uh, uh, ultimate edition of Load. Well, I
1: don't, I don't know, though, because there's no whale sounds on this record.
0: So you uh, know, Good it, point. It, no instrumentals. Scott, right, so. No instrumentals, yeah. <laughs> but you know what Reload <laughs> does have? They have uh, one of the best openers, uh, I think, in, in Metallica album history. Uh, this song is an absolute uh, fucking banger. Uh, how many times did they play this thing live? I, did I put it in my... 500... 43 times live. Yeah. Uh, this is the one song they didn't play in Saskatoon that I really wish they did because I really wanted to see it.
1: Did you notice, too, this is the 20th most played song in the catalog? Oh, I didn't even notice Reload. that, no. And if you take out the guitar and bass solos, it moves up to 18th. So there's only 2001 and 2002 when it, when it hasn't been played at all. And I did, when I was looking through that, I was like, oh, guitar solo, bass solo. Oh, they've been played a lot. I wonder where the drum solo is. Scroll, scroll, <laughs> scroll. After 1994, they stopped doing the guitar and bass solos, but Lars only got to play drum solo for two years, (laughs) 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 and then they said no more.
0: (laughs) Well, and nowadays that spot is taken up. They they call it the doodles, where uh, Rob will do a little doodle, and then Kirk will do a doodle, and they'll doodle together for a little bit too, and they'll play, you know, half of an instrumental of one of their other songs. They don't plan on covering that. Like I Disappear, they did a lot on the last tour. So cool. Uh, Those spots, you know, James doesn't really do a solo spot or anything either. It's usually Kirk and. And Rob just get to doodle around. Rob's usually leads into uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls. Okay. Because that's obviously a great bass intro to that song, right? So he can doodle away and then, oh, yeah, right, you don't know For Whom the Bell Tolls. I don't tolls. know it. You will someday, my friend, you will. Uh, but before we get there, oh, man, it's time. Give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire.
1: Give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Ooh.
0: What, what do you think about a, a fast Metallica
1: song to kick off the album? It's fantastic. I mean, this just <laughs> rips your face off coming out, right? Like you said, this is how you open an album. Uh, you could not put this song anywhere else on this record. No. Right? It's got to go first. Yep. It's got to lead off. Um, love that we start with James, Cold Open, you know, because I don't think they've done that on any of the record, any of the songs we've listened to to this point. Nope.
0: nope so again, it's haven't. something
1: a little bit different, which I always like, and just, it's a great, I mean, it's a two-note riff. Yeah. It's great. It's fantastic, right? It, it, it's another one for the diehards.
0: Like I said, you know, "Ate My Bitch" is a great opener for Load because it's almost like a callback. Uh, yeah. all, all our metal friends, we haven't forgot about you. Uh, here's a face melter to kick off the record for you. We're gonna get bluesy on some stuff, uh, maybe country too, especially on Load. But for right now, we gotcha, and and yeah. I love that. Lyrically, I love this song because James really got into cars. Are, are you a big car guy? I, when I met you in Saskatoon, you drove the shittiest little minivan. <laughs> <laughs> and my daughter's like, oh my God, that's like, you might as well just put like free candy on the side. Like, is. <laughs> oh, I wonder
1: how long it'd take before someone called me a pedo. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't call you that. I implied it. There's a difference. <laughs> True. Yeah. Well, I inferred it, actually, I suppose, really. <laughs> yeah, but... yeah. There you go. Yeah. No, no. I. I... Corey, I, I guess a car gets me if made to B, you know. And my 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 focus on my vehicles is economy, safety, and a very very good heater. I live in Saskatchewan, I need warmth. <laughs> yes. Other than that, don't know anything about him. Oh, but it sounds so good though. hundred
0: plus through black and white warhorse, warhead, fuck a man, white knuckle tight through black. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Oh my lord. <laughs>
1: I love that. Isn't that great? That exaggerated <laughs> white. It's so, it's so funny. Like it's that, and again, it's that thing that I've, I've I commented to you, but I think I've said on the podcast that my idea of heavy metal sometimes is everyone just takes it all too seriously, and I'm sure that the hardcore Metallica fans think that sucks, but I just think that's just putting a bit of fun into it, you know? It totally is. It, it totally fits the music too, right? Like, oh. yeah. made me giggle in uh, inside. Fucking well, right, it did. <laughs> so it made me giggle out loud. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, thoughts on the drums? We're going to get into it at some point. I love everything Lars is doing on this track, right? I love that that breakdown he's doing right there, coming into the yeah. one of my favorite uh, choruses
1: uh, in Metallica history here. Um, great, I love those descending harmonics that uh, Kirk's playing on the guitar as well. Great, and then we get this section coming up here, those big exaggerated flams that he's doing on the on the snare, and it's like, okay, well, I've not heard him do that before, not really, right? And so it, yeah, I'm like, hey, dude, Lars well, is crushing it on this song. But I think that you know, from what people have said to me, and people who I whose opinions to trust, like yourself and um, other not Scott, but trust Scott's opinion, not Metallica, right? No, no. But other people said, like you know, Lars was good at the fast stuff, like he was good at the thrash stuff, and this is closer to that, right? So I, I totally get that this is his wheelhouse. Yep. So of course it sounds good, and it should sound good. Yeah. Yeah, come on. I love the, because they go to a single guitar there. So they're not doubling up the guitars because again, it creates that space and you get a bit of dynamic change because it's a really heavy riff opening up and you've got both guitars going at it. And then we get that nice, it's a bit of a cleaner tone and it's higher up the neck. It just gives you that bit of, it makes the chorus very, very different to the verse. I love it. It's fantastic.
0: Produced impeccably. I'm going to have some issues with production uh, on this record. Definitely not on this song. love that, burn your face upon the chrome. It almost sounded a little British there too, right? Like oh.
1: <laughs> Sounds like an American doing a British accent. This okay. it's a, it's a nuance is a little bit different, but no, well, it's very cool. I mean, he's it, all over the vocals on this song, right? I mean, and I think, or do you think I should say, again, you're getting back into Metallica's wheelhouse here. This is his comfort zone, right? So I think that, that sort of maybe it comes across that he's really relaxed in his vocal. Like he knows exactly what to do with this song. There is 100% confidence. And how James yeah. is
0: delivering this song. We're on something like Mama Said, maybe not so much, right? And But I, I got to say, I'm not going to take your opinion on a British accent because you're from Saskatoon. You fucking don't know. You've been <laughs> playing this whole British thing up, and it, it's phony. Everyone knows that's a fake accent. we have been putting
1: on for years. People, people have never twigged. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, my next one is 231. Did you have anything before then? I have 231, but I've got 157 because it's the, it's the only thing that Lars does in this song that I think is just – it's not like – not awful, but it's just a bit clunky and awkward. And what I'd written down is that I'd love to sit down and watch his technique when he's playing certain things because I, it almost strikes me that he's that he's that he, fuck. He's a professional drummer. I'm probably wrong, but his technique doesn't sound solid when he plays things like this. So you've got to just, about, I think it's about one fifty seven. Okay, we'll see if I can remember. See if I see remember which bit it is. I'll probably hear it again. But okay, just that, that little. Bit, it's it, It's just a bit. It's almost like you know Ringo the famous example of Ringo, right? Ringo was left-handed, but he played a right-handed Kate. So he filled backwards. And it almost feels like he's leading with his wrong hand because his the the note after's always just that just that little bit behind. And it just sounds just a it just sounds a bit clunky to me, but again, I mean it's a it's a small, small thing that I noticed. Is that what you So a couple of things. Did you notice in the second half of the solo here, or when the, actually when the lead kick, kick kicks in, there's a. It's almost like there's a double time snare. But it kind of can't be. Lars couldn't have played that live because he's also hitting the 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 symbol, and you can hear the hat still. So I'm kind of I really curious to see if that was a, a different bit of percussion. It's not a hat, or whether it was sort of added in afterwards. I, I was just curious about that because it really stood out. That I could. I was like, okay, that's. Oh yeah, no, they are. I can hear the ha- and I can hear the crash, which is unusual. I, I never noticed that
0: before. Actually,
1: listen, listen to like when you just when you listen to it casually, just have a listen to that because it's like, yeah, that's really odd. That I can hear both. I know that he's not he's not doing this. He's not going. He's not doing that, which is the way you would play it, right? So I kind of wonder how it was dubbed or it was just sort of I don't know. I didn't after they finished the track, but the other thing, like I was going to say that this section here though you're always sort of waiting for that halftime drop from Metallica yep. in, a, in, a, in a fast song like this. So you could say that it's predictable, but it's it's exactly what the song needs at this stage, right? So it's perfect. Um, yeah, and I think if I was going to super nitpick, and I'm not going to nitpick too much, but I think you could have shortened that up by like half because I think it just loses because I want, give me fuel, give me, I want that big thrashy, fast-paced thing. And this just drags just a little bit. Again, doesn't ruin it, but... Just a wee bit longer than I thought maybe needed to be. but
0: I always thought it was like a, in a car race, you're, you're kind of making a quick pick stop. So you're, the engine's still running, you get your tires changed, getting ready for a smart white knuckle tank. But I can't believe you fucking gave me homework. Now, next time I hear this song, I got to like listen for fucking double snare.
1: We <laughs> guys have a long list of issues.
0: Oh, God, you don't know the half of it.
1: <laughs> oh, no, he's got new quotes. Oh, I got a ton of them. Here we go. I just want to keep listening to the song, man. <laughs> well, before we talk about the solo, I did like when it comes out of the solo there, there's a there's a bar where they go back into the, the double time, like the, the, the you know, the, the verse riff. And you think, oh, we're going back. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, they've changed again now. They go into the chorus. I, I like that little rope-a-dope, that little bait and switch thing. They do it's mm-hmm. super cool. Um, and it's just, like I said, it's just that little beat. You just get it for a, a couple of beats. And you think, yeah, that's clever. The solo, come on. I mean, it's, That's just great. But I like, and I do prefer Kirk's stuff when he writes it. And you can tell that he sat down and, you know, worked that part out. Um, I don't like his freeform stuff sometimes, but I much prefer it when he's kind of thoughtful about it because that solo fits the song
0: perfectly. Yeah. And if you remember watching a year and a half uh, in in Life of Metallica, where the hell that documentary was called, he kind of gotten shit from Bob Rock for not preparing a solo for The Unforgiven. And and Bob Rock kind of took him to task for it. So I think Kirk was much more cognizant of coming with prepared uh solos uh for load and reload. And uh, I think it pays off. And Lars, again, I think playing exactly what the song needs at every little moment here. Yeah. And he's showing little flourishes. He's showing he's a he's a good drummer uh when he really kind
1: of puts his mind to it. I know you've made a face, but he kind of is. Only because again it's that it's I'm not gonna bang on about it because it doesn't again it doesn't it's not a major sticking point, but there's a couple of where he does a little snare rolls. I think what he's doing, Corey, I think he's actually playing the notes, I don't think he's rolling the stick. He's not okay. playing like an actual roll. He's and it just that never quite when you're playing it that fast to me, I just prefer it the other way, right? Okay. So again, that's a preference thing. It's not a not doing it wrong, it's just I don't like it that dumb that way. But it's and again, it's not it's not something that pissed me off too much. So right now it fucking annoys me. <laughs>
0: James is so good at, at ending those with, with a great little lyric or something, like on I burn, like right yeah. at the end. Oh, that's so fucking good. Nominated for the Grammy Award for Best Hard Rock Performance in 1999, but lost to Jimmy Page and Robert Plant for the song Most High, which I don't know oh. if I've ever heard that song. It's
1: mm, mm, It's okay. Yeah, I well, can't believe it. I didn't even know that one a Grammy. Fuck me, that's wow. Well, okay. well,
0: Metallica has a history of uh, w- with the Grammys, right? Because they lost the inaugural Best Heavy Metal Performance Grammy to fucking Jethro Tull. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. The fact you are laughing is all we need to say about that. Metallica <laughs> was nominated for the Black Album, or was it one? I, I can't remember. Uh, but they were nominated for like the inaugural Heavy Metal uh, Grammy at the Grammys and lost to Jethro fucking Tull.
1: Well, I mean, and that's that thing of. You get into that stuff and you're, like, you're going to give a legacy band the first one, right? That, that's Jethro all that Tull? is. It's just a bunch of suits. Yeah, they were kind of proto-metal. ones. I, I wouldn't necessarily describe them as heavy metal, but they were sort of, they were on the fringes of it. They were kind of kicking around. Yeah, I don't know. That's a yeah, weird If they had lost to like Black
0: Sabbath, like 13 or something, I'd get it. You lose to yeah. Maiden, I get it. Priest, sure. <laughs> to Jethro Tull? Jethro Tull. Oh
1: God. they got a flute in the band. How heavy can it be? <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: And the award for best heavy metal performance goes to Britney Spears. <laughs> Shania Twain, the woman in me. It'll be Dolly Parton this year for that rock and roll album. <laughs> well, and she might earn it, though. Fuck, Dolly's pretty yeah. talented. All right. Give me fuel. Give me five. Give me your grades on this opener from 1997's, sorry, 1998's Reload. Kevin Brown, what you think of it?
1: Okay. Don't get mad at me because I've got something to say at the end of it. I'm already okay. fucking mad. <laughs> Music 8.5. Um it's pretty basic stuff. I mean they're not, you know, it's a deadhead rocker. Um does exactly what it's supposed to do, you know in a Apart from the, there's the middle section before the solo, which I said, I think it, it's just, that's a wee bit long, but that's more production than the music. Yep, yep. Um, It just careers along at a breakneck pace, and I, and I love it. Love the solo. I really like James's delivery all through, you know, and I think we, you know, we talked about the pronunciation on white, but he's really chewing the scenery deliberately because it's over the top and it's really hammy. And I, and I love that. It's, it's, it's just cheese and it's the best kind of cheese. Um. You know, like I said, it's a two-note riff and a four-note riff repeated. So that's where I'm not saying it's bad. I just think that it's, you know, there's more interesting things that Metallica do. Um, lyrically, seven. I think they're fine. I mean, they're, they're good lyrics. They're complete nonsense. But like you said, they've, they fit the song, and you couldn't really write any other lyric for this, especially once you've got that lead line. Um, you know, and we talked about last night on the OU812 rap show on your Van Halen podcast, about sometimes you don't need to worry about the lyrics. They just need to be melodic, and they need to be that you know, that fourth instrument to sort of just provide that, that sounds And I think that's what these lyrics are really. Um, production. Yeah, I agree with you 4.5. I mean, I think again, that middle section maybe could have been done a little bit differently, but overall no huge quibbles with this song, Corey. Now. So 8.57 and 4.5. What I would say though, this is a perfect example of a song that exceeds the sum of its parts. It's not like it's not my top tail Metallica in terms of sort of, you know, complexity of composition or lyrics or whatever, but man, it gets your fucking toe tapping and it gets your lips smiling. So I think when a song does that, it's doing what it's supposed to do. And it made it made its way into my playlist immediately. I think actually probably the first time I heard it, I was like, yeah, I like this song. Don't agree. Lame. Forget it. <laughs> Music
0: 9.5. Love fucking fuel. Fuck, it's so good. Two notes, four notes, 100 notes. I don't give a shit. If, if a song makes me feel that good listening to it, And the only reason I dock it half is because it gets a tad repetitive. And like you said, uh, kind of that breakdown section, maybe you can cut that because it's just a tad long, but that's a minor, minor quibble. Uh, Lyrics 9.5 because James sounds so fucking cool. And like all the car references are great, but it's also about a song about living too fast. You know, it's got double meaning. Take the corner, join the crash, headlights, headlines, another junkie lives too fast. You know, it, it, it plays double meaning in there too. James yeah. is a fucking brilliant lyricist 9.5 and then uh, production I gave it a 5 I have no faults uh, yeah. no notes on, on feel it's fucking fantastic it's one of James's favorite songs and rightly so and it, it's the real standout uh, on this record for me and it, and it kicked off the record perfectly it should have won the damn Grammy there I said it
1: <laughs> well we're moving on to a song that's very different <laughs> in in a very specific
0: way played 313 times this is the prime example of man is the live version a thousand times better than the recorded version it, it's like a right. uh, train kept a rolling from aerosmith um pride in the name of love by U two took on a life oh. of its own when they played that live right the recorded version never lived up to it here's one it's a pretty extreme example too where the recorded version you're like well, but i tell you live it's phenomenal can't wait to get your opinions on the memory
1: remains in fame, pain, insane, but the memory remains.
0: All right. That is so fucking good. <laughs> and uh, I, I wanted to, you chat for a minute. I'm going to look for something. I actually got the, uh, the concert in Saskatoon. So they played the memory remains. Okay. And I, I wanted to play you the, the, the
1: beginning of how that opens up uh, okay. in concert. Well, while you're looking for that, I'll, I'll just say quickly, Corey, that this is again, this is we're into that Sabbathy, doomier sort of end of heavy metal that I really quite like, and I think Metallica does really quite well. Um, so straight away, I'm sort of you know, it's it's almost like that the halftime roots heavy metal is what I always think of it. Like you go back to the the OGs and the the, the originators. This is kind of the stuff that they do, and Lars doesn't Lars Lars can play this kind of stuff pretty well most of the time, so. Now is the test. That fame, mirror, insane, That a little bit, a fa- little bit faster, hey, just a hair
0: faster as well. Yeah. But all, all the well that part and all the Maria and faithful part, the, they they get it over to to the crowd to sing. Yeah, and it it's such a great moment for the crowd. Like it's it's a real highlight in their live shows. Where you get to go, la da, 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 da. And yeah. much better than Marianne Faithful, who sounds like a fucking coked-out granny who's about to fucking <laughs> die or something.
1: It, well, it, we'll talk about how we get to it. <laughs> but but we'll, yeah, I mean, made opening for riff, a crowd, right? Yeah, that opening riff, response. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I like... I like it when Metallica does this type of stuff. And again, we're in that sort of bleeding me sort of space, right? And I, I'm not quite as low and slow as... as, uh, as bleeding me, but... Like the intro. I like the doubling on James's vocal, you know, the octave split where he's singing in that higher register and the lower register, I think is really effective on this. Great intro. I really, really like it. And I really
0: love the the start. Like, it's Sunset Boulevard uh, about like an aging starlet. Uh, you know, the memory remains about her life uh, yeah. kind of in the limelight and stuff and, and really kind of craving that again. Really kind of a, a weird topic for a heavy metal band to be singing about. But again, James Hadfield, man, he can make anything work. James used to double. It used to just be, he would do the, like the, the same range right here. He's like, the, yeah. re, again, that was one of Bob Rock's big things. Like if you're going to double it, you know, you know, make it dynamic, make it interesting. Do something with it. You really get a, a big range uh, on this one here too, which I found really good. And then heavy rings on fingers wave. Another star denies the grave. Oh, yeah. He's a poet. He's a poet. It's a, good,
1: it's a great lyric.
0: Yeah. See the nowhere crowd cry the nowhere tears of honor. Like it's, it, it, you, you can see that this character fading into obscurity, and it's driving her crazy, and yeah. it, it tells such a, a complete story. He'd be a great filmmaker. Maybe a good script
1: writer? Yeah. You know, like yeah. filmmaking and script writing is obviously a little bit different, but uh, and we know that from uh, Bruce Dickinson making a horror movie, which was <laughs> Just, not... Very good. <laughs> I never did see it. I haven't seen the Foo Fighters uh, horror movie yet either. Oh, that's fucking, that's a is riot. It good? You gotta watch okay. that one. That's just fun. It's just, yeah, it's, it's silly. And we what we learned from that movie is that um, Pat Smear is never gonna be an actor. <laughs> <laughs> Bless his heart. Okay, now can I show you the flaw in the drumming? All right, Kevin. (laughs) Tell us about the flaw in the drumming. No no flaws in the drumming for me. I think Lars is on the money. He's not doing too much. He's playing the right part. All right, well.
0: Okay, now we'll leave it out of time. I guess we'll (laughs) leave it out of time. I downloaded those just for you, buddy. (laughs) I feel like you're taunting me. No, not at all. I know you're taunting me. No, no. Fake British asshole. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff there's a good line coming so we're getting into the, obviously the chorus and i love the the chord change on remains again you, you don't need that there but it adds so much when it's just that one little thing because it's again that doomy riff is it's a little bit repetitive i love it and I, I could listen to that all day but um but that change there just takes you somewhere else right yep
0: yep telling a story and uh we'll, we'll play you through this part because i really love uh the lyrics he has in this part here I just see like Betty Davis like in, in her older yeah. years right the straggly cigarette like in her finger you know stained fingers and yeah. you know thinking back to when you know she was like the, the toast of Hollywood and now having to be that so far in your rearview mirror what that must yeah. be like right
1: it's all, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to deal with, right? I mean, you see musicians all the time too, right? Musicians going out when they're clearly they can't do it anymore. And we, you know, like your Bon Jovis and your Vince Neal's, like, it's time to wrap it up, boys. You you can't do it anymore. And it's okay to not be able to do it anymore. You know, don't tarnish your reputation. Yeah, there's a great line. My favorite line, maybe my favorite line in the song is coming right up. Okay. That's a great line, and the band and can't the band play on? Just listen, they play my song. Yeah. So again, it's that, it's that not letting go. Listen, do, do, do my movie's on again, or my this, it's me again, it's me again. But I love that there's like a little double reference there. I think where it's you know and the band played on is the the famous quote from the Titanic. Yep. Because the band played on as the ship went down, and you know the ship went. So it's that idea of sinking. So I love that little um, that little back reference. And also, I noticed um, fade to black which I believe is a Metallica song, is it not? It is, yes. So it's almost like a little tongue-in-cheek self-referential line as well. You know, so very cool. Uh, and one of their
0: the diehards, uh, one of their most uh, favorite uh, Metallica songs. Okay. Uh, Fade to Black, if you haven't heard that one, man, which uh, from Ride the Lightning. Uh, see, now we are got to do early Metallica too so you can enjoy <laughs> Fade to Black. All right. (laughs) (laughs) In the spirit of the song and the theme of the song, that kind of works because it's the aging starlet. Does it sound awful? Obviously. And uh, I I am going to try and cue up uh, that Saskatoon live version again. We're we're, going to play it from here. We're going to see if we can get to that moment. So I I just want you to compare and contrast. We heard Marianne Faithful. Uh, Let's see what the band did in Saskatoon. So that has become such a big moment in a Metallica show when they do this yeah. song, because James James usually takes the first part, whoa, and then the crowd takes it. And then that's how the outro of the song, too, right, is the crowd is just singing that refrain, and the band just kind of slowly brings it down. And then they yeah. just stand there, and they listen to 18,000 or 30,000, however many people they're playing to, singing that back to them. Yeah, As a live staple, it's fucking unbelievable. If you're just listening to the record, you're like, well, that sounds like shit. But again, in the theme of the song, it does fit because that's the aging starlet, you yeah. know, kind of
1: warbling, whatever. It's kind of, it reminds me of Fear of the Dark when you listen to the the live version, because that's the same, you know, the opening of Fear of the Dark is exactly the same thing. And it's almost the same type of cadence as well, right? And of course, you're going to love singing that as a fan. And I totally agree with you. i would written down, you know, some notes about bringing Marianne Faithful in to sing this. And she was only 51, yeah. When she, so she wasn't like, but she sounds like she's 80. Yeah. So I kind of wonder whether, and Marion Faithful was a really good singer. I, I do wonder whether she, whether they sort of explained what the song, when well, she would have seen the lyrics, yeah. explain what the song was. And then she thought, oh, well, I'll sing it. I'll croak it a little bit more. And whether they sort of, whether she forced that and put that on to fit the, to fit the song. I, I mean, I don't know, but I think, you know, cause it, it, it does, it does work. In terms of the theme of the song. Now, I've got a comment on whether I think they should have put it here or whether they could have just had it at the end. Okay. But. And you know what? I, I don't know either,
0: but I'm willing to bet she did know that because uh, close to the end of the song, she's actually quoting lines from a Marilyn Monroe movie, The Misfits. So she oh, obviously. is, that what it is? Oh, yeah, Okay. Yeah. So she's obviously got the theme of the song, right? So I bet you. It's like yeah. you said, Marianne Faithful, uh, You know, she used to record at the Stones and like everybody back in the day. Right? Good singer, yeah. Incredible singer. But yeah, she's really croaking the fuck out of this. It's kind of like Betty Davis again. You you watch old yeah. interviews of Betty Davis before she died, like oh, uh, yeah. or like a young man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> wow, you do. I've a, had more men than you've had hot dinners. <laughs> oh my god, Kevin, that's a little too much information. We learned a little bit something about Kevin Brown here tonight. First, he's faking the British accent. He's from Saskatoon, and he said uh, more men than than I've had TV dinners. Have you seen how big I am? I've eaten a lot of fucking TV dinners. <laughs>
1: Well, I've... Su- no, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank
0: merciful Christ. All right.
1: Um, I would say, though, just to wrap that up, though, and I've already told the story on, on the podcast now, but that, that, that will, for always and forever now, that section of the song will always be called the green tits section of the song for me. <laughs> Please tell just... the story. Yeah, have, have you? T- I don't know if you told the story when you're shoveling your snow. Do that now. Did we, did we, I think we... Okay, well, I'll tell it again anyway, yeah. but... Yeah, so I'm outside, and we, we got a bit of snow, finally, in Saskatchewan because we didn't have any over Christmas. So I went out there to shovel, and, you know... As Corey knows, you just get your head down, you get through it. I wasn't really looking up, I had my headphones in, and I'm listening to this album in prep for the for the recordings. And so we get to this warbling, weird section in the song, and I'm not really paying close attention to the lyrics, so I don't know, I don't have context for it. And I just kind of I say it out loud, just to myself, what in the fucking green tits is this? <laughs> Look up, and there's a young couple walking by. You've heard me say this, and they're laughing their heads off. So I've got my I've got earbuds in my two con. I go, oh sorry, I'm just listening to a Metallica album, which set them off laughing even more. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. Pretty powerful stuff. The only thing about I think it's I'm pretty sure it's this piece here is I, I don't think you need that kind of like the pre-chorus, but I think you can go straight into, um, you know the what's the line here? I'm losing losing track of things here, Corey. Fortune, fame, mir- uh, Miravan. I think you could go straight into that rather than leading into it because it just I don't know. I just it, again it just feels like they're doing the same thing a bit too much in this song. And I don't think, that, like, all the sections of the song I like, but I think you could just chop it up a little bit differently. But, I mean, that Glass tone and the heavy wire, that's, you know, it's only Kirk Hammett. You listen to that, you think, yeah, that's Kirk Hammett. And I know that now. It's like, okay, I could pick him out of a lineup based yeah. on that tone. I do
0: really like how James performed that line, though, in the hard stop. Yeah. Right, a lot of uh, emotion, a lot of pain in in, in that vocal. This faded pre like, he really delivers that line very, very
1: well. And it's well. a good stop, too, right? It's in the right place. Like, I like that. It's, again, it's just, it's after that. It's like, okay, well, you don't need to move now back into that pre-coursey bit. But, yeah, then. wonderful little bit of production. Right. Well, I
0: stopped it before Marianne again, because I don't know if you want to hear that again. But we, uh, my next time was uh, 3.57 when we start the outro.
1: Yeah, we can go to there. Yeah. Okay.
0: There's be a lot of fodder there, I tell you,
1: because all all I'd written, I'd, I'd actually written down three thirty, and I'd just written the Cat Strangler is back, so. <laughs>
0: This is Bob Rock in the booth. Uh, Can you (laughs) deliver that line uh, like a coked-up grandma uh, who's been sucking cock on the street corner for 40 (laughs) fucking years to get some more blow? Like, just make that as tortured and as gross as humanly possible. That'd be great. Thank you very much.
1: I will do, Bob. Oh, no, she's English, isn't she? (laughs) Oh, 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 God. It's so weird, man. <laughs> and here's what I've written down about it, Corey: is that I, I get why they drag this out for so long because this is it's long. Yes, like she does this all the way through, like it's a minute and ten seconds or whatever. Um, but it's that she doesn't want to let go. Yep. Right? It's the aging stuff, and so it fits. Like it's like again, again, within the theme of the song. Yeah, it works. It's just too. It's, it's too offput and ple- it's too weird. It's not pleasing to the ear. It is not pleasing to the ear. <laughs> but it does fit
0: the story they're telling, and that's why yeah. I've always been kind of conflicted. Live, uh, th- this song is maybe a 9.5, 9.5, 5 for me, because, like, it's live, it's yeah. so fucking good. But on this record, uh, not so much. Did you have anything more, or, or should I go right into my scores? Go to your scores, sir. All right. Music, I gave it a solid 8. I-, I really like the 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 groove and the feel of this song. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it gets repetitive, uh, obviously, uh, the outro is awful, but maybe it's kind of supposed to be, uh, lyrically it gave it an 8.5. First of all, for James to write about an, an aging starlet from like the golden, uh, years of cinema whose star is faded and is going mad. That's a really fucking cool subject matter that you don't expect a lot of heavy metal bands to tackle. Right. Like, you, you think about AC/DC, they're, they're singing about fucking and drinking and fucking. <laughs> and that and those three uh, topics exclusively.
1: Well, sometimes drinking and fucking and drinking as well. Don't be, well you know, okay. don't be painting with the same brush. There was that one album where
0: they did that, sure. But <laughs> you get what I'm talking about, right? This is a very brave song in a lot of ways. Uh, production, I gave it 1.5. Because that's where I'm blaming the Marianne Faithful delivery on right is bob Oh, uh, marianne uh please know that that sounded too good can you really make it sound like you've got one foot in the grave and and the grim reaper is literally two steps away from you thank you like it's oh it, it's awful and i get it, it it fits the song but it sounds like f- fucking shit so i yeah. i can't get past it like i said live this song is a fucking banger it's great and here it's a really really good song couple of missteps though that i had to kind of dock it for so i gave it eight yeah. eight and a half and 1.5 what were your scores on the
1: memory remains what well, we didn't even say though this was the first single release from the album
0: <laughs> over which fuel is
1: bananas to me yeah well what do metallica fans want
0: to hear uh a, a kick-ass fast thrash metal song about race cars or this aging starlet fucking yeah. diatribe oh man first it's single crazy. that's unreal
1: and it went to twenty-eight on the Billboard <laughs> chart. Um, and get the this, they cool. haven't added—they haven't had a higher-charting single since this since this one. Yeah. Um, music. I went eight point five because I I really like this one. I think you know Metallica does that halftime stuff really really well. And I, so I'm going to read out exactly what I wrote down. I don't think it's a superb drum part or anything, but it's serviceable. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, I haven't made any negative notes on this one. He hasn't driven me to start drinking again. Um, (laughs) Bass is really just following the root notes. I like the riff, you know, it's just an earworm. It's a really good riff um James's delivery is fantastic plays it with a pretty straight bat doesn't throw in those you know his fate black guy ah, doesn't do all that kind of stuff because it's not what the song needs uh, so 8.5 for music i went 7 for lyrics um, i'd written down Metallica does Duchess thematically so it's the same type of idea right about the, about this aging star absolutely i think it yeah. just it just seems to run out of steam a little bit in the second half for me where I like the first half, you know, the heavy brings on fingers wave another star denies the grave, very unambiguous but the concise and evocative, and I love that. And the uh, the bat and can't the band play on, um, that's my favorite verse line. Um, so it's just, yeah, I don't know. I I don't think it's one of his best 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 lyrics, but I don't dislike it. I did go higher on production though. I said two point five on production, um, which maybe is a little bit high, but. I think, like I said, I mean, I think if you trim down the uh, da, 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 the, the dying cat, yeah. I think you can make a better song out of it. And as we said, I don't think it's necessarily the wrong decision for the song thematically. It just, I don't don't love it. Yeah. Um, you can't really hear the bass on this song either, is my other complaint. And again, it's that thing that we talked about this, and I think it was either... Ain't My Bitch or 2 by 4 or something a few weeks ago where you lose that separation in the low end when everything's in that frequency range. So, you know, and then again, the nah, 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 just goes on a bit too long. So yeah, I'm five, seven, and 2.5. So I think overall we're really damn close on we're, this song. We're pretty close. And
0: I, I think that uh, the bass that you mentioned is maybe a problem on this whole record because uh, there, there's one song yeah. coming up on side view. We're like, holy shit, that's the bass. And that's the first time <laughs> I remember hearing it uh, on, on this entire record, so... Uh, if you ever get a chance, Kevin, to see Metallica live, they ever come back to Saskatoon, I'm going to take you because it's a, a phenomenal show, and when yep. they do this song, brings the house down every single time.
1: Well, I will I will tell you that uh, against any everything I ever believe that I would like to see Metallica live now.
0: Amazing no, live band, too, the, yeah. amazing so. live band, and uh, you know, pop on S and M sometime when they do the memory remains with the orchestra behind them. Okay, very very effective. All right. So, pretty positive on the first two tracks here tonight Fuel and the Memory Remains. Let's get into a track they've played 44 times. So, a little bit less than Memory Remains and Fuel. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a little track called Devil's Dance. So there's that separation we're maybe missing on the memory remains, right? We, we start up yep. with the drums and the bass. The bass is cool. And I found out that actually uh, uh, James uh, kind of forced Jason to play the bass just like he did on the demo. Like this is yeah, a lot of times he'll have some freedom to do what he wants on bass. But James is like, this is yep. exactly how you got to play this fucking thing.
1: Right. Well, it's, and- a, it's, in, it's, a, it's in a detuning as well, right? So it's super, super low. And I'd written down, it sounds like his bass is coming from the armpit of the ugliest demon in hell. <laughs> like it's just, it's ranked, like it's really, really low and heavy. The riff doesn't, you know, when I was listening to this and I've, I've written, I've got more notes later, but riff doesn't really do too much for me. It's a, just a bit, feels like, and you know, as we talked about, with this being sort of the unfinished songs, I'm willing to bet that this was just a riff they had laying around. I, I, I don't think they had a full. I'd be surprised anyway. They had a full demo for this song. So uh,
0: there's not a lot to the riff. I don't mind it. Uh, to me, it kind of harkens back to "Sad but True," which is a song I really like from the Blackout. Maybe not as good, not as successful, but uh, I kind of like that that slow chugga chug chug. Like get, okay. get, get, get some groove on that. You know, I'm cool with that.
1: You know what I think it is? I think it's that, but I think it's did it, did it, did it. It's, a bit, it's just oh, yeah. a bit spinal tap. <laughs> it's a bit, <laughs> I don't know. It's just a bit weird, you know?
0: Well, what I was wondering is uh, is one of my ears going bad because the rhythm sounds much louder than uh, what, what what Kirk's doing, uh, kind of noodling away. And maybe it's because my the way I have my headphones on, my right ear is maybe poorer than my left ear because I'm hearing the yeah. rhythm really great on the left side and the right side's way too low. Are you getting that too or
1: is it just me? The mix on this whole song isn't isn't great oh, okay like you said i mean and yeah no no it, I, I i hear what you're saying yeah okay play through a little bit because okay. we know that metallica are queen fans yep. and here they lift a lick from queen wholesale Ooh. Do you know the song Death on Two Legs by Queen?
0: I do. I, I never heard but, Death on Two Legs when I heard that, though.
1: <laughs> that's what it is. It's exactly the same. Do, 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 yeah. do. It's exactly the same. But Brian just uses it in the intro to that song. It's not a motif that, that features throughout. But I heard that. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> you can't have that riff. That's <laughs> no. if the
0: first line was, you suck my blood like a leech, I would have been like, hey. But, yeah, no, I didn't catch it from, from that. <laughs>
1: yeah, I feel you too.
0: So what do you think of the verse? You know what, it's okay. Uh little confused. Uh you normally uh, James tells a very clear narrative. Uh yeah, I feel you too. Feel those things you do in your eyes. I see a fire that burns, a freedom. Like it's, it's a little kind of generic uh, to me. I, I'm not. I'm not going to yeah. use the S word uh, that that Lars uh, uh, tends to use. Uh, but I, I, I just love uh, the hard stop in the chorus and the that's right, let's dance. That's such a James Hetfield thing that it really kind of saves the song in a lot of ways for me. Right, I'm thinking this is kind of beat by numbers Metallica. right? You, you, you got the slow kind of metal chugga-chugga. Uh, James is singing it great. Band's playing good. But there's nothing that's really kind of elevating the material to something like a Sad But True.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's fucking stock. I, mean, I don't know how much clear I can be. I think it's fucking stock. What, which part of that is unclear to you? <laughs> oh, that's what he said. I've got to get that bit. Because I've got the first bit. I think I've got the accent close. Yeah, so.
0: you're pretty good. Pretty good.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it, to me, it's just sort of. It, this one definitely feels constructed rather than natural and sort of, you know, it's sort of evolving from something where there was an idea. It's like, well, what can we do with these parts? We'll put them together and I've got this vague idea. And I agree with you that the lyrics are like pretty. Just sort of general heavy metal lyrics, you know, yeah. like this could be any band from sort of 84 to fucking, you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. just, it's just got that to it where I don't, I, I the hard stop's great. And like you said, I think that's like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. But everything up to that point, I'm just like, okay, where are we going
0: with this? So, yep. I know what James talked about. He wanted, you know, it to sound like hellish, which is a very heavy metal trope, right? Which it yeah. does, but like you said, every heavy metal song kind of follows that, that yep. through line, so.
1: Come dance! Now that is the ultimate Come dance! <laughs> it's good. I mean, I, I don't mind it. Like, like I said, I, I, I've managed to get my head around all this now about... and Like I said to you before, there are times when I do it where I don't like it. When it's a punctuation point at the end of a word like this where... It just works because it's, it's it's actually doing something with the song. It's adding to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas when it's just in the middle of er- the, the melange of everything else, it's like, we oh, don't really need that there because it's not adding something. I think it does add something here. And the same with Bitcha. It's the same thing. Like, it works there. See, and I'll agree with you on Bitcha. This one here I thought seemed a little tacked
0: on because it's so pronounced. It's dance. Yeah. Ah, and he really yeah. takes it up, right? It's almost like, okay, I need a Jamesism here. Let's really sell the fuck out of it.
1: And... I suppose though if you like if you roll it back and let's just listen to that little bit again if he didn't do that there it, the line would sort of it would almost trail off a little bit it would just sort of evaporate into nothing whereas I think that's probably why he does it is to real like I said it's that exclamation point at the end of the line okay well I have backed it up let's let's, let's see <laughs> come down sad Because it leads into the kind of that, that heavier, because section. you're leading okay. into the solo, and you, yeah, that's what I'm that's why I assume they, they put it there and not at the first one, so. Cool.
0: Okay, so i got to correct myself. That uh, quote about sounding hellish actually came from Kirk Hammett. And uh, Bob Rock had kind of urged Kirk uh, to think of something new for this song uh, and and make it different. So uh, Hammett used a Digitech whammy pedal, uh, which is Uh uh, used quite commonly by uh, Tom Morello of uh, Rage Against the Machine. And uh, and Kirk, uh, I'm going to read the quote here from Kirk. He says, you know, I've only just discovered these things. In my opinion, it's one of the most important new effect devices there is. To me, it's just as important as the wah-wah, which he uses all the fucking time, right? <laughs> it helped me get the sound I wanted to match the mood of the song. I wanted it to sound hellish. And I, I think he succeeded. That's a really uh, cool solo that, that kind of fits this kind of hellish mood of the song.
1: It, 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 we're, we're getting into familiar territory here from the last song. It does fit the mood of the song, and it probably is the right part to play. I just don't like I don't like it tonally. Okay. I find it really, really jarring. Um, and there's a bit coming up at like 3:54 where I think he does not. It's not the same thing, but he does something similar where I think it really works. That bit I just find it's too much for me. It's just a bit. It's just a bit too much. And again, personal preference thing. I'm not saying it's the wrong thing, and it's not badly played. I just don't care for it. You're just sitting here being a complete dick. <laughs> Some things ever change, guys. How about we just go in there and bash it out instead of bashing on each other? You know what, guys? Why don't we just go in there and just hammer it out, all right, instead of hammering on each other? (laughs)
0: totally better there you're 100 right and listening to it on headphones when it pans back and forth
1: on that yeah. last little bit that's really cool it's my favorite bit of the song by a long 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 way yeah a middle eight and it is eight bars too which is kind of cool i just think that works so well there and I, i'm pretty sure he's i don't think that's the, the whammy pedal that's him that's him wailing on his tremolo arm period exclamation point i can't believe i
0: agree with you on something all right mm-hmm <laughs> Did you have anything more on uh, Devil's Dance? All right, so Kevin Brown, uh, Devil's Dance, what are your scores?
1: Yeah, I think we're going to be a a ways apart on this one, Corey. Okay. 2.5 for music. Oh! I just, it's just dull and repetitive, and I don't think anything interesting happens until the middle eight, where Kirk plays the bit we just talked about. So I just, I don't care about anything else in this song musically. It's just, it's just flat for me. Uh, I don't want to pick a
0: fight. (laughs) Jeez, man. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I just don't like it, Corey. That's one of those ones. It's like I, I, I tried getting, I'm like, there must Holy be something cow. here that I can latch on to. I don't like that. Doom, 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 Especially when it gets to that double time. Like,
0: 2.5 is like if they just farted in the microphone for five minutes and 19
1: seconds. It's higher than Snowbound. <laughs> is it? What did, you get? <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, what, what did we give one, one, and one uh, from the Genesis? I, I gave one, one, and one to Snowbound. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But
0: other, uh, 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 I didn't do it. That one was a one one and one. Who done it? I think yeah, who, who done it. Done oh it was, yeah, I think yeah.
1: who done it got one one and one. Yeah, I think I think Snowbell might have been one one and one point five <laughs> <laughs> or something.
0: Apologies yeah, just... to to Mister Rutherford, Ready Rutherford, <laughs> who listens to our show. We love your dad. That's Apolo- apologies to James. Too.
1: Apologies to James. I just oh don't God. like this. Two point five. Lir- wow. All right. Lyrics three point five. Wow. Uh, it's like it's almost. Are you do you know the screw tape letters, Corey? Have you heard of the screw tape letters?
0: I don't believe I have.
1: So it was c.s lewis was a big chryso he loved jesus and he was he was big into jesus and he was a christian apologetic and he wrote like the chronicles of narnia is a a christian apologetic itself right um so he'd written to J.R. tolkien who was you know a fairly prominent uh, secularist um and he'd written this satirical thing and it was basically it's a conversation between a senior demon in hell and his i guess his nephew or his brother or his son or something and so it's and he's he's trying to kind of get all all these christian allegories across and all these different epistemological points which is just it's it's above my head and i can, can kind of pick some of it but it's almost like he's sort of read that but he's tried to write a metal song about it but he's not he's just not dialed in it just feels kind of thrown together to me you know the let's dance line is cool but like you said, I feel you too. Feel those things you do. In your eyes, I see a fire that burns to free the you that's running through. Deep inside, you know. Seeds I plant will grow. It's just like, yeah, I don't know, man. I've seen really shitty bands write lyrics like this. And I know that James Hetfield can write really, really good lyrics. So that's why it stands out as being weak. So 2.5, 3.5. I and mean, then I went two for production. I think it's too long. It's repetitive. And it's on the album. Those are my notes. <laughs> wow. I just think you? it's so fucking self-absorbed.
0: You're just so fucking self said That one, yeah. And I am not buying this whole British thing. Like, I you're from Saskatoon, motherfucker. You don't know anything about Tolkien and C- <laughs> Lewis and all that horse shit. Quit trying to pull one over on me. I don't buy it. You're a prairie boy through and through. <laughs> but uh, I tell you what, I thought it was a decent album track. Okay, uh, I gave it six for music.
1: Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, you like what you like, right? Yeah. yeah. I, if
0: you put this on and you put on fucking Snowbound, I'm I'm gravitating to this. If you put on this and and uh, Who Done It, I'm, I'm gonna punch you in the fucking face because Who Done It is maybe the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> so you know it's it's slightly above average. There was a couple little interesting things that put it just slightly above average. Lyrically, same thing. Gave it a, a six. I love the snake. I am the snake tempting that bite you take. Like he does have some clever stuff in here. Is it stock heavy metal? Sure, but I, I think was, I thought it was just a little bit. Slightly above average heavy metal stock, and then uh, production. I gave it two point five. Uh, pretty low for me on production because I really generally like Bob Rock's production. uh The last verse of the song is completely unnecessary. Like the the song is five nineteen. Cut that whole fucking last last verse, and yeah. I, I think you got a tighter song. But I, I like the chorus. Uh, I love that come on let's dance. I think James delivers it well. Uh, generally it's played pretty good so for me it's just kind of average to slightly above average so it's definitely not because fuck who done it is so bad snowbound <laughs> is so bad and you're comparing this to that like that i rank a- them significantly lower than this one <laughs> Jeez, significantly lower <laughs> oh my god i i would never compare this song to those to me this is just kind of an average slightly above average album track uh, i don't think it's out of place on this record I think we have worse songs coming up from this album. Uh, so, I don't know. It was just kind of
1: okay. Okay. What was your production? 2.5. 2.5, okay.
0: Because, again, uh, I, I love the bass intro. We had that separation. I love the panning uh, be, be between the, the rhythm right. and the lead. Uh, there's some good stuff they're doing production-wise, but that, that whole last verse, like you got to cut that out. Like you, you had mentioned, and I hear this all the time, Metallica doesn't always know how to end a song. And here's one that you could have cut that whole last verse, made this like a 350 type song yeah. instead of a 519. And I think it's a little more effective.
1: Well, it's that thing of when you've got, because Bob Rock is essentially sort of their guy now at this point, right? Because it's the third album they're doing with him. And he sort of, you know, he ends up playing bass on the next album. So he's basically in bed with Metallica at this point. So he's not going to be the outside guy to say, you know what, guys? We need to cut this down. You know, we need to edit this down. It's too long. You, it, this is a bit self-indulgent. Let's let's trim it back and tighten it up a little bit. I don't think they've got that voice in the studio on these albums anymore. It's the worst piece of shit we've ever done, and it's not leaving this room. I would say delete that. <laughs> <laughs> it, let me ask you this, Corey, because okay. you talked about. I remember when we talked about "Until It Sleeps" because that song's been on my mind. I've had that song rolling around in Kev's little brain cage for a while now, and you said that "Until It Sleeps" is a really good horror story. It's not a jump scary thing. It's a horror story. This one to me, I would compare it more to like a low budget slasher. Okay, because it's kind of got that's it's because it, this is all jump scares, right? It's all if you think about if this was going to be a movie, it's going to be over the top blood and guts and gore, and it's going to be the slashery thing where until it sleeps is that that seething undercurrent that you don't know why it's scary, it just is. So if you're comparing the two, that's where I would sort of balance them out.
0: All right, I would say that this is maybe more in line of like a, a movie like a Quiet Place that doesn't rely on jump scares solely, but it's not really effective as a horror movie either. Okay. A uh, little, little, it. Oh, it, it, it's worth a watch. It's worth a watch. But um, your, your typical like a uh, happy death day where it's just like blah, 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 like, like constant, like Blumhouse bullshit where things yeah. just jump out at you. That to me is like a two or a three. Uh, this one, you know, it doesn't reach the level of like good horror, but it, it doesn't reach the, it, it's more like home by the sea. Which uh, you know can be scary, but isn't overly. So it, it's kind of in that middle ground. Even yeah, though I, I, thr- I
1: almost that thriller kind of space, yeah. maybe, Even not rather than horror. Yeah,
0: I would say I probably enjoyed Home by the Sea and Second Home more than Devil's Dance, but I wouldn't put it on par with, uh, fucking. I'm trying to think, a Smile or whatever like Blumhouse put out, like their Invisible Man that wasn't scary at all, like <laughs> just their generic horse horseshit they put out that cost two million dollars, gross is eighty. And and they make a mint off it, right? Like that's that that that's kind of their business model, and it works incredibly well because people like to get scared in a safe environment. People love horror movies for a reason because I know I'm safe. I'm in the theater, surrounded by people, but I like getting scared, right? Everybody kind of has that, and that that's why people gravitate to these movies. And they're they're never going to be huge, huge movies. They're going to make you know eighty million to one hundred twenty million, but they're going to be hugely profitable because they don't cost that much. Whereas like an Avengers movie costs four hundred fucking million dollars and has to make two billion to make a profit, and, it, yeah. and if it doesn't, it's a colossal failure, like the Flash was. So there, there is people like getting scared, and sometimes it is just the cheapness of it. So I, yeah. I, I would put it a little bit ahead of, of the jump scare type movies, but not by much.
1: I will trust your opinion on this because I don't watch horror movies. Well, I you're, was just trying to find because I, I it's funny because you say that I'm a don't big want pussy scared.
0: I know you're a big <laughs> pussy. That's everybody knows that about uh, Kevin Brown. Now we're we're kind of up to a, another uh movie uh trope is sequels. Right? A mm. lot of sequels out there, right? You don't get a lot of musical sequels. And I was trying to think of, of rock and roll sequels. And I'm trying uh, album wise, obviously you have Bat Out of Hell Two and Bad yep. Out of Hell Three, even though thematically they don't really fit together too too much. There are a couple of tracks on Bat Two. That kind of harken back to back one. I was trying to think. There, uh, David Bowie had a song called "Ashes to Ashes." Yeah, that that kind of calls back to Major Tom from Space
1: Oddity. So that's kind of a sequel, a
0: little bit, right? It, it harkens that's back. That's to to a back character. reference for
1: sure, but it's not. It's n- I mean, it's nothing at all to do with you no. know, Ashes to Ashes is just completely something. Because I was going to ask you the same thing. I don't know of one. I don't know of a band that's not a band at this level anyway who's tried to do what Metallica try here.
0: And and blatantly even say this is. The Unforgiven 2. Played six yeah. times, uh, and really how it came about was uh, James got a new guitar, and he was just dueling on it, and he said, oh, that, that's kind of a cool riff. Then he realized later on, that's actually just the riff from The Unforgiven. and He thought, yeah. well, you know what? I really kind of like this, though, and I like how it sounds on this guitar. Let's just continue on uh, from The Unforgiven. So they did a sequel, and they did The Unforgiven 2. Let's check it out. So there's that very country-sounding guitar. Apparently that's a, uh, a Fender a Telecaster American Standard B-Bender. Yeah, which yeah. obviously I'm a big uh, guitar guy. I'm a guitar player. I know everything about guitar. But maybe tell the folks, <laughs> uh, the layman, if you will, uh, about this very country-sounding uh, Fender
1: Telecaster. So it's a neat little thing. What it is, isn't it? it? Like you can see the country. Like Brad Paisley, if you ever want to see someone play a B-Bender, play the shit out of it, watch Brad Paisley. He's it's amazing what he does with it. So basically, what it does is it's got a, it's on your, where the your guitar strap comes over and attaches to the top end. That's attached to a mechanism, which bends the B string up a full step or down a full step, depending on which way you, where you're going to pull it. Right. So that gives you the ability. On some of them, you can actually get benders that'll change. I think two or three strings, or even I think even the whole six. But basically, what it does, is you just pull down on the neck and it bends the note. Oh, okay. And it gives you that very specific. Because it doesn't—it's not—you know—he's not bending; he's not bending the string. It gives you that very, very specific bend sound that comes out. and It's, it's totally country, right? It's absolutely country. So that's what—that's what a B-bender is. Like I said, go watch Brad Paisley. Like seriously, I'll put a link on on our socials about this when this episode comes out. Because if you, like I said, you really should watch someone who's fucking maybe the best player in country music right now is Brad Paisley as a guitarist. And uh, he does lots of rock and roll and heavy metal stuff in his in his shows as well because he's just that good. Well, so, yeah,
0: being the best fun tr- fucking country artist nowadays is like having like the least objectionable form of cancer. <laughs> like <laughs> fuck, like it's terrible. It, it's all shit. But uh, I understood all that obviously. But thank you for explaining it uh, uh, to our audience. But uh, I, I I found these uh, quotes from James Hetfield talking about uh, because that that be- that Bender kind of sounds like a pedal steel guitar. And, and so that, that kind of gives it that, that, that little country twang. And he was yeah. talking about, he said, it sounded really good, and I thought it was something new. But then it was like, oh, shit, I know that riff. That's the Unforgiven. But it sounded new enough, so I thought, fuck, this could be another song. Well, should we hide the fact that it's Unforgiven? No, let's make it a continuation. So that's how we got this spiritual sequel, I guess lyrically a little bit sequel, too. And I know the, the video was kind of a sequel, too, because the young boy from the Unforgiven video, they brought back for yeah. the Unforgiven 2. Uh, uh, and if we ever do uh, later era Metallica, there's an Unforgiven 3. That I'm aware. <laughs> Have you heard it?
1: No, not yet.
0: <laughs> like, Unforgiven 2 borrows a lot from the Unforgiven. Unforgiven 3, I don't know so much of it does. Like, I've only heard okay. it a few times. Obviously, it has the same opening note. But I, I really like, at least it differentiates itself from the Unforgiven in that, you know, it, it kicks in with that 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 backwards note that we talked about, and then it's a lot heavier than the Unforgiven was, right? So it's at least yeah. differentiates itself that
1: way. But there's a lot that's very similar to the Unforgiven in this song. Well, and it's like I said, it's like or you said, sorry, it's exactly the same intro. It's exactly the same. It's got, even got the drum roll, and that's what it, yeah. that's what I was going to say too. That's a roll. That's what playing that roll on the snare. That's a roll rather than the the quick thing that he does on some of the other ones, but. Yeah, let's get into it. Let's, let's listen to a bit more of it because, you know, we, I don't want to frontload everything with my, my thoughts on this okay.
0: song. me
1: Tell me what they've done and Speak the words I here to make my demons run The door is locked now so you've got james coming i mean i think you know where unforgiven shines is we get that slow intro and then it the verse just kicks into life and that's like you said on, on the black album that song is really really well produced this one, I don't get that same, I don't get that same punch. I don't, the, the build isn't there. I don't feel anything yet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then when you compare also, and we'll talk about it at the end of the lyrics, you compare the first verse in Unforgiven with the first verse here, and that's a heavyweight against a lightweight. You yeah. know, that that's, that the ref's calling that one before it's even started. You know what I mean? Yeah. My
0: main comments on this song were, it's solid musically, but pretty generic lyrics. Like not not bad lyrics, just kind of more generic than what, especially coming off the Unforgiven. If you're gonna make that natural comparison from the Unforgiven to the Unforgiven Two, right? There, obviously, there's something he does very clever in the chorus, uh, that that kind of you know plays on the name a little bit. Yeah. But other than that, like verse wise, uh, it, it does feel kind of kind of generic.
1: Yeah, and it's yeah. Well, let, let's play a little bit from here because I got a couple of comments when we get into this section here now as well. So. Me. that snare sounds fucking awful that's a terrible terrible snare sound i really really it's attitude don't like
0: that right sound. like it, it sounds like it's
1: attitude it sounds slack it sounds like it's really been loosened off and under the, the chains underneath the actual the, well the snare the snares they sound really really loose I, I mean again it's that's a choice and you're going for it that section to me sounds where again where Unforgiven sounds really clean and you can hear everything there's good separation this is very cluttered and it's everyone's playing there's no space for anything to breathe yeah okay now can I show you the flaw in the drumming <laughs> well yeah I, I, talk about overplaying I mean Jesus Christ Come he is seriously he's overplaying a little bit there isn't he <laughs> yeah under wicked sky through back of day Shining through, like hot scarring steel. That pre-chorus again is just limp. Again, you know, we get so, with so many pushes and builds in Unforgiven, where those transitions are great. And this one just—it's just a flop for me, Corey. Like I've written down, it's—they're not building any emotion. And again, for Hetfield, that's unusual. And I'd say this too—he's in that lower register, so he's, he can't, you know, he can't push his, his enough as much air through his throat. But I don't get the same emotion from this. I don't get that he gives a shit about this song as much as he did on Unforgiven. Which, of course, I mean, they are different songs, and maybe it is unfair, but Metallica set us up to compare these two songs, right? If they hadn't called it Unforgiven 2 and they'd kind of taken a different tack with it, maybe we would evaluate it just based on this song alone, but you can't help but draw those comparisons. And again, this, this section is just a bit like, ooh, boys, it's, it's a bit lame. For, for me, that doesn't cut it, you know?
0: <laughs> if you think about it in terms of movies, it, it's like the the filmmaker who who's kind of contractually obligated to deliver a sequel when his heart's yeah. not really into it and th- this is kind of like james like he has a new uh new toy right he's got the new guitar and he's like i really want to play this thing because it sounds kind of cool and i can bend on it and stuff and it sounds yeah. too closely to the unforgiven let's just kind of make a spiritual or even a, a direct sequel uh, to the unforgiven but his heart's not really into it.
1: it and again like i'd written down and let's let's talk about this now then a little bit because I think you can do a sequel to a song. I think, or you could, if, you, if you'd handle it properly, just don't make it sound anything like the first one. You know, because the character in Unforgiven is in this oppressive, you know, be, probably be detained in some sort of facility whatever, facility, whatever it is, you can build on that. There's a good sort of, if he gets out or what's his life like afterwards or whatever it is. This just doesn't, it seems to fall into no man's land. Mm-hmm. But But they're leaning heavily into all the, the signature motifs from the first one, it just comes off as a, like a lame copy. You know what I mean? Like it just, it's just, dis- it's super disappointing Was my main note from this. It was like, you shouldn't have done this. Like you just shouldn't have, you shouldn't have gone this right with it.
0: And it wasn't a sequel because we wanted to tell more of this story. It was because I have this cool new guitar and yeah. it sounds like the Unforgiven. I, I kind of want to go along. So it's, it's an unnecessary sequel. It's the Weekend at Bernie's 2 of music. When you have absolute perfection in the first Weekend at Bernie's, Yeah, You know, why do you continue that story? And maybe that's why you don't see a lot of sequels in rock. You get it more in rap, like the confessions and and all that kind of stuff. But even like Bad Out of Hell 2, none of those songs call back to any of the songs from Bad Out of Hell 1. Yeah, It's just kind of a a spiritual sequel. And and even going back to Bad Out of Hell 3, like obviously you can't do a direct sequel to the song Bad Out of Hell because the guy dies in it. It's all about a motorcycle crash. I get that. I do like that, how they work Unforgiven yeah. Uh, into the course. Like, I, as soon as he's saying what I felt, what I've known, I, I kind of, like, head-slapped, right? It's like, <laughs> uh, you, you don't have to, it's it's the Force Awakens of sequels and that oh, we have to have go. so there many callbacks to the original that we're basically remaking the original. If you're going to yeah. do a sequel, and, and that's the problem with sequels, uh, one of my favorite trilogies, actually, is the Ocean's Eleven trilogy, like the 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 heist films. Yeah. And like they did Oceans 11, hugely popular, uh, George Clooney, Brad Pitt, great cast, great movie. And then they thought for the second one, we're going to do something different because that's kind of what we want to take this crew and we want to do like a different thing. And audiences hated it because it wasn't similar enough to the first film to the point where Oceans 13, they're back in Vegas, they're back knocking off in a, a casino. Yeah. There, there's this conceit that it has to be similar enough to the original And Force Awakens is the classic example. We're going to make a new Star Wars movie, like, you know, 19, you know, 20 whatever fucking years after Return of the Jedi. But we're basically going to remake the first movie because that's what audiences expected. And me as an audience member, I want something different. Like, you know, do something outside of that. But I guess general audiences just want to see all the shit they know before. Like, oh, look, it's another Death Star, but
1: it's bigger. Like, fuck off. Like, that's just lazy. I think it's also studios, though, right? They, they're scared to do oh, something yeah. new because they don't know how it's going to land. They know that's going to hit. And like I said, I mean, look at Rogue One. Rogue One, for my money, is the best in the best movie in the Star Wars canon. I mean, you know, people say Empire, but I think Rogue One's stronger. It did something because different. Because they, they did something different. They introduced new characters, and they, they brought it, not, not only that, though, they brought a different way of looking at that universe. And that's what I was saying with this song. I think you can do a sequel. You just You just should not do it like this. You definitely shouldn't do it like this. It's a well-played solo, it's well-constructed, but it suffers from the same, to me, it suffers from the same thing as almost all the rest of the song does, is that it's, they're just trying to do the same thing again. We've already done that. You did that in Unforgiven, you you know, he's even cribbing some of the same legs. So to me, it's just like, it's too reliant on everything they did before. I, I imagine like, you, if, if Unforgiven didn't exist at all, I don't know whether this song becomes better or worse because I, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like you're not gonna do the comparison, but are you really gonna get any sort of story from this where that's Unforgiven again? Musically it's brilliant, but the narrative in that song is, is just so powerful. You don't get that and then the mix is muddy and you know what I mean? Like I just, so the solo, it doesn't do it for me, Corey. Like I said, it's, it's well played. It just doesn't land for me. Don't agree, lame, forget it. <laughs> Listen to
0: Unforgiven yeah. and then Unforgiven too and l- compare the solos directly. To me, this is the part where he's actually thematically kind of doing a second part of that story. He's calling back to certain things from the first solo, but he's forwarding it. He's taking us on. It's the two towers, if you will, uh, as opposed to the fellowship. Uh, It actually works for me, Uh, so I'm going to disagree with you on there. I I think he really put a lot of thought into this solo, and and really kind of he really wanted to kind of take what he did in the first one, but further it. Like we're we're you know these characters are kind of going on more of a journey here. And uh, to me, it it really works, and to me, it almost kind of saves the song. Like I would have been like probably sub fives on a lot of this, but the solo and what Kirk is doing to me is really interesting.
1: In that, fair enough. Yeah, I I can kind of follow along the, the the through line of what he's doing from solo one to solo two. We we've, we've talked about this before. I'm pretty sure on this podcast, like I, I think it was even maybe last episode, I said there's there's there was a song we listened to, and I said there's no moment in this song. There's nothing. There's no like thing that happens where 446 we get that longer ha- hang time before the chorus kicks in with and there's a, listen to this, there's a great little suspended chord that sits underneath and then there's a great little fill from Lars. So even it, you know, he's doing the, I, I'll do the, I'll play the slick and I'll, I'll just repeat it twice. That's one of his stock things he does that he falls back on. But I think it works here what he does here. So 456, and this is, again this is one moment in the song that I did enjoy. Tell me what Done. The door is closed, so all your eyes. But now I see the sun. Now I see the sun. Bum 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 bum. Right, good little fill that. Yeah, you know, and he's, do, and he's doing, he's hitting that flam on the snare to start the roll down, which again he doesn't do very often. I've not heard many flams from from Lars Ulrich. So I, again, I like that piece and I like where they stretch it a little bit because it changes it and it adds a bit of space in there too. You've got a little bit of dead air for a second just to give you some, you know, some width. I don't know. That's that's, that's my favorite way of the song. Oh, it's
0: it's what the, the song needed there too. Yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, unlike Lars Ulrich, uh, he plays just what the song needed uh, in that moment. So there, there's kind of the pandering moment of the song where you have and I dub the unforgiven because yep. that was in the first song. Yeah. Oh, we're doing the first Awakens. We got to have a scene uh, in a bar because the first movie had a scene <laughs> in a bar, and we have to have a yep. giant globe-like fucking planet destroyer because the first movie had that. Like, it, it's not a callback. It's it's audience pandering, and yeah. that I don't enjoy
1: don't particularly like the harmony in that either I No, there's something about the way it's mixed or something where the harmony parts it's mixed almost equal with the lead and it it just sounds a bit not hair metal exactly but it doesn't sound it doesn't sound as good as you know when they do as well it's so a yeah, little hair metal it's it. a
0: little glad metal yeah you, yeah you think back to like bands like britney fox who didn't really know what the fuck they were doing kind of moments like that like <laughs> it, it had It has a shade of that. I grew up on that shit, so I I know that. So
1: So let's go to 620, because there's a really weird production and arrangement choice here. I just don't know why they've gone with this. So they bring the B-Bender back in for one note when they go up to a major, which just completely trashes the entire mood of the song for me. Okay. Why? I don't like that at all.
0: Like, yeah, it seemed it's unnecessary, <laughs> unforgiven to. But I tell you what, even though I I, I was kind of trashing it, uh, there's still a lot that I kind of dig about the song musically. I gave it a seven point five. I I thought it was pretty solid musically. Not great, like uh, it, it's it's not a fuel, but it, it's above average, and I think that's largely because of Kirk's Solo, because I I connected the dots from Solo One to Solo Two. And and to me that told the story. Not lyrically, it didn't really tell the story for me. Uh, too many fucking callbacks uh that I, I think are just kind of pandering. But to me that solo section really worked. So that elevated that to a seven point five for me. Lyrically a six. Uh again, I think Lars is just like I have to write a sequel to the unforgiven. Uh we have to kind of continue the same theme of forgiveness and unforgiveness and, and all this kind of stuff. There there's because he's such a good lyric writer. It's above average, but not by much. He's really kind of phoning it in. And then uh, production wise, uh, two point five. I get it right on, right on average. Uh, it's way too long. Uh, there's Bob Rock could have said, you know what? I, I think we're pandering when you're calling back to stuff like uh, original lyrics from from The Unforgiven. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's The Force Awakens, which is a movie I enjoyed, but I'm not going to put up there as being the greatest Star Wars movie because it doesn't do anything original. The only thing that they did originally here to me is is the solo section. So that's why I was 7.5, 6 and 2.5. Maybe a, a tad too high. But, you know, for an album track, uh, the, uh the, was this a single? I I, I think it might have been. Uh but, you know, not not a huge single uh, for them. They barely played it. They played it six times. And I know on their uh, uh hardwire tour, they would kind of alternate sometimes from doing Unforgiven 2 and Unforgiven 3. Uh and they obviously played Unforgiven one when I saw him in Saskatoon, it was brilliant. It was fucking amazing. They didn't do two or three. Uh so right. they don't they don't break this one out a lot for a good reason. Uh so seven point five six and two point five. Kevin Brown, I'm expecting a lot of uh, sub fives on
1: this one. And you're gonna get him, yeah. I mean music four, I think it just it doesn't it's not even if if I think about it too, if I detach it from unforgiven, like the unforgiven, it just lacks any dynamics which a song like this absolutely needs. You know, you can hear the sections, but it just, it's all kind of a bit samey-samey. Um, the build in Unfor- I was thinking about that, like that build in the solo in Unforgiven, where he goes from that clean tone into the big the big yeah. explosion. Yeah, It's just orgasmic, that moment. And there's, there's no, again, the moment in this one is actually a drop down, not a push up. Um, there's no space in the song for anything to breathe. It's just choked out because everyone's playing a bit too much. And again, you've got that B-bender in the first verse, but then they play, they go to, it's like this weird, it's kind of like a flanged guitar in the right channel where they're both playing. And so, it, again, there's a, there's a lot going on in this song that, that clashes for me. Um, so, again, I like the the solo. Like I said, I agree. It, it was a good solo. I just It just didn't move me in the same way that the first one did. Lyrics, again, are four. So just do do it, think about it this way. Compare the first verse of Unforgiven. Okay. New blood joins this earth, and quickly he's subdued. Through constant pain, disgrace, the young boy learns their rules right? Then you get, lay beside me, tell me what you've done, speak the words I want to hear to make my demons run. It's just not good, right? It's and not then the as good, but it's not bad. It's, well, and it's, it's not it's I didn't just a average no, for me.
0: I didn't do it, no, I didn't do it, oh, I didn't do it.
1: <laughs> so, so let's go to the chorus. What I've felt, what I've yeah. known, never shined through in what I've shown. Never free, never me, so I dub the unforgiven. Yep. Sick and tired, I stand alone, could you be there, because I'm the one who waits for you, or are you unforgiven too? Again, when I'm side by side in these things, and, and like I said, Metallica made us do this because they're they it's a sequel and it's the same name. Um, it's there's just no comparison. The song doesn't move me an inch. Where Unforgiven really, really does. Um, production I went to one point five. I think it's too long. I, like I said, I just think it's dull. There's no dynamics in it. I just, and you know, I've got a new guitar. I've written this riff. It kind of sounds like Unforgiven. That's cool. Shouldn't that end there? Like, where's the internal editing to say, oh, I shouldn't do that again. That'd, that'd be silly to write the same song again. And where's the outside editing to say, that's a silly idea to write the same song again, even if you've got a new guitar, write a new song on your new guitar. You know, I, I find it, it's not the worst song that, like you said, it's it's not a bad song, but it's below average for me. It's not the worst song they've done <laughs> lyrically or musically. Um, But I find it a little bit patronizing artistically. It's okay. that they're going to pedal this on us. It's like, fuck, dude, like, You've done this song. What do you think we're fucking stupid? So yeah, it just, it just it aggravated me a little bit. So I think that's why I went a bit lower than maybe I should have done. Well, it's f- it, it, it's fair
0: because it, it it is kind of patronizing. I went back and checked my score for lyrics on Unforgiven. I gave it nine. I gave this one ah. six. So it's definitely a, a step down. But it, it, it's maybe not the legacy sequel. It's not Ghostbusters Afterlife, where it's like, hey, he, remember Proton Packs? We got him in this movie too. Hey, remember Slimer? Look, there he is. Hey, remember the third act from the first Ghostbusters? We're redoing the whole fucking thing. Yeah, it's like why? Like why? Tell a different story. Like for it, sure. yeah, th- this isn't continuing anything. Although I thought the solo did uh, at least musically kind of continue on. So yeah, um, my side A totals uh, for Reload uh, were an eight for music, a seven and a half for lyrics, and a two point five uh, for production. So for an album that takes a lot of shit. And even James said, you know, all the worst songs are on fucking Reload. Uh, side A, I thought, was actually pretty fucking decent. Eight, seven and a half, seven and, a half and two and a half. What
1: were your uh, final grades on Side A of Reload? Unsurprisingly, quite a bit low because those last two songs, you know, yeah. I, take it down. Uh, music six, uh, lyrics 5.5, production 2.5 for a 14, which I think might be my lowest Metallica side. Yeah, I think so. So far. Yeah. I think. Um,. What I'd kind of written down was, you know, it's and it's such a pity because fuel sets up the side, you think, oh fuck, here we go. This is gonna be an absolute cracker. This is, because it just comes lying out the gate. But then even after that, the side starts getting some trouble with memory remains, it's got it's got such a good song in it that just doesn't quite come out. Devil's Dance for me, Corey. I just yeah, I I don't I don't see it. I just it's one of those things too, I think like if they released a, if this was on the album devil's dance wasn't on the album and then you know next year or on an anniversary they released a box set and they had all these outtakes you kind of go oh yeah i can totally see why they didn't put that on the album you still enjoy listening to it because it's a new metallica song you haven't heard before but you go yeah i get it i get why that doesn't make the album i get why it didn't make load um so and then unforgiven too like i said it just i, I can't get on board with this This weird sequel idea that's just the same fucking song so it's a lackluster start to reload for me Corey. um and i'm really hoping things improve on sides b c and d i can't wait
0: until you hear unforgiven (laughs) three and we'll see what you think about that one but oh that music can only mean one thing it's time to play the big four that's right it's my turn to try and stump Uh, Kevin Brown, I did it really bad last week. You went 0 for 4. We're still stuck at 9 and 5. I'm in the lead uh, by 4. So what we do is uh, we alternate weeks. And uh, I have to try and pick uh, three other bands along with Metallica. And we rank them by their Spotify listeners per month. Uh, Kevin is very, very bad at this game, it turns (laughs) out. Because I'm currently in the lead. So I have picked uh, four different acts here. Uh, A couple of which I I know you're you're pretty familiar with. So I'm very, very curious to see how you do there. You need to get at least a couple right. At least try and kind of shrink that gap. Because I'm up by four here. So your four bands, remember, rank these highest to lowest by Spotify monthly listeners. Your bands are Metallica, Hall & Oates, (laughs) The Foo Fighters, and Linkin Park. Again, your your artists are Metallica. Your kiss is on my list. Hall and Oates, Foo Fighters, and Lincoln Park. Rank those from highest to
1: lowest. Okay. Foo Fighters, Foo Fighters um, are going to be lower by not, but not by much, than Metallica. I suspect. Okay. Um. Lincoln Park, I fucking can't stand but i think they're quite popular so i'm not too sure where to put them and i can only i can only imagine that hall notes have to be last there's no fucking christmas bullshit going on you're not whamming me this week so i'm gonna go oh god i really fucking hope they're not but i think lincoln park might be first so i have gotta decide whether i put lincoln park first or metallica because i'm pretty sure third is food is fourth is Hall notes i think or that way around i think they're higher so i just don't know where lincoln but you know what Yeah, I think Linkin Park appeal to. They're more mainstream. I'm going to go Linkin Park, Metallica, Foo Fighters, all notes in that order. Is that your final answer? That is my final antler. I tell you what,
0: you got two right.
1: Oh, I'm in the game. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Bottom two? No. Top two. Oh. Linkin oh, okay. Park, number one, 36,732,000. Number two, Metallica, 24,842,000. Number three, Hall and Oats, 23 million flat. What? Yep. Number four, Foo Fighters, 20,507,000. Who the fuck is still listening to Hall and Oats?
1: They're classic. Are you kidding? Man, yeah, they are, but when did they last release?
0: Oh, a long like? time ago. But I don't know. Maybe it's because uh, they're in the news because, of course, uh, Hall is suing Oats. Yeah. Yeah. I was shocked wow. Hall & Oates was 23 million. That's, That's why I, I put it in. Crazy.
1: Yeah. Okay, but can, guess can what? I let you know? a can I let you in on a little secret? I'm glad I got to you I can let you know a little secret. Did you cheat? I didn't cheat, but we accidentally picked one of the same bands. Cuz I cuz I wrote down already my uh big four for next week for oh. you. And one of the bands you picked is one of the bands that I picked. Is so it I, Hall & Oates? Knew I knew how many, um, <laughs> roughly how many downloads, depending on when we looked at it. Well, you song.
0: know what, and, and that's the, the chance we take when we pick these bands, Absolutely. but I know your memory is as bad as mine, being an <laughs> older gentleman, so, you know, uh, I know, I think we did Whitney Houston twice, too, uh, on the big four, and I completely <laughs> forgot whatever the fuck her number was. I still don't know. And I think The, the memory, just, last the memory does not remain. <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> so, you know what, uh, you, you closed the gap by two. It's now nine to seven. Congratulations, yeah, you, you got a little bit closer. Um, I was kind of shocked like Linkin Park at 36 like because obviously Chester kind of Bennington figured. passed away quite a while ago I'm I'm I was right. kind of surprised I, I would have figured like 20s but not
1: 36. And then yeah, Hall & Oates at 23 is like what? Really? Hall That's craziness. I mean Linkin Park I like I said I, I was I was pretty confident on that because I know that there's lots of people my my eldest daughter's age who listen to Linkin Park so I think they're one of those bands who they've kind of they've got new people listening to them. Really? Where yeah, I think so. I think so a little bit, yeah. All right, well, we should uh, we should wrap up for this week, Corey. Where these fine folks go. Thanks for listening, as always, people. Uh, join us again next week when we're looking at side B of Reload. Uh, come check us out on social media. Ultimate Catalog Clash on Facebook and You Catalog Clash on Twitter and Blue Sky. Check out My Other Shoals, The Tom Petty Project, and Seaside Pod Review, a Queen podcast. And if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at KevBrownCanada. Corey, Canada. Where can people find you? What do you have coming up?
0: You can find me on Twitter at Randy Woods Band. Uh, <laughs> please tell me how much I suck at that account specifically. Uh, I've only got two shows right now. It, it, it's kind of a leisurely pace. Uh, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not minding this at all. Uh, of course, I do the uh, Van Halen show and the podcast will rock. Fifteen tracks left uh, as we're recording this uh, on our wheel. About to wrap that up. Now you're you're doing a Tom Petty show, so you got a little bit to go left. And then you got the, the queen wheel. I don't know where you got that idea, idea from, but a lot of songs left on that fucking wheel. Like you and Randy are going to be doing that show for a while. Um, I, I tell you, it's it's weird feeling getting close to uh, the end of a discography uh, in in like seven years yeah. in uh, season uh, 420. Uh, when, <laughs> when you finally get there, it's going to be interesting. But uh, I have a two-archive show, Backtracks Theme Music, uh, where we talked about music and movies, and uh, Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited, where we're uh, breaking down... Uh, Aerosmith and trying to come up with the ultimate Aerosmith mixtape uh, if you want to check those out they're still there and uh, truthfully I'm at uh, C.D. Morissette uh, on Twitter basically only I, I don't post ever I'm a really boring follow uh, but if you want to you know yell at me uh, sometimes I read it and uh, I take it to heart and I have a good cry and, and then I come here and I, I chat with uh, Kevin about Metallica and I feel better about myself.
1: And don't forget, folks, that's Morissette. It's like Mississippi. M O M O R I S E T E. That's right. The that's the easy way, way to remember. That's the correct way to spell it. it.
0: Not like Alanis. <laughs> she doesn't know how to spell.
1: Okay, with that, folks, we'll let you go.